The Guardian. Support for this podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy, it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. As the season of literary log-rolling draws to its close, we take a satirical look at eight of the year's big books with The Guardian's John Crace and try to digest what they reveal about the state we're in at the end of 2014. Today's digested read is Boyhood Island, the latest volume of intellectual navel-gazing by the man dubbed the Proust of Norway, Carl Ove Knausgård. Writing about writing. Writing about not writing. Who cares which when the bandwagon is rolling? My father's death, the birth of my children, not writing my book, and my general uselessness were all in the bag. So what next? Who can say whether memories are real or an act of imagination? No one, fortunately, so I was entirely free to reinvent some of my miserable childhood. The bus rolled down the hill towards Tremoya on an overcast day in August 1969. Or maybe it didn't, as I was then only a year old. But it feels as if it must have done. We lived on a new estate in a dreary suburb, swamped in existential misery with a broken television. Each time a rainbow appeared, I would search the woods for its end. Never once did I find a pot of gold. Never. That's how hard it was. Every morning I ate a bowl of cornflakes. Sometimes I would pour the milk on first, sometimes the sugar. Make your mind up, you big Jesse, Dad shouted. Every day I would run to my room and cry for three days. Then I walked to school. Sometimes my friends, not that there was anyone I knew whom I would really call a friend, would have pissing contests on the way. I didn't join in as my willy was too small. Gare was very good at maths. I was better at English having read the entire oeuvre of Rachel Cusk by the age of three. The highlight of my day was having a shit. How I enjoyed sitting on the toilet, seeing how long I could delay my turds falling into the bowl with a big splash. Once I was very close to breaking my record when Mum knocked on the door to tell me she had bought me a girl's bathing cap. I rushed to my room, sobbing uncontrollably for a month. Dad shouted at me to stop wailing as he couldn't hear the television that didn't work. I hated swimming after that. 
It was a bright summer's day, possibly, and I stood on a bridge dropping stones on cars. One landed on an opal, smashing its windscreen and causing a pile-up in which seven people were killed. I ran home to listen to my Wings album. You accursed boy, my dad might have said, if he had had a particularly stilted turn of phrase. Mum bought me a brown tracksuit, which made my bum look quite big. I cried for almost a year, and no girls would talk to me. The only thing I enjoyed doing was writing. You will become a great writer, my teacher said. Fireworks of joy exploded in my brain. One summer, I was eating my cornflakes in my bedroom when I overheard my mum saying her name was Sissel Narun Kanausgud. I didn't know you had a middle name, I blubbed. Oh, 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 I sobbed. My whole childhood world was rocked by this news. Later, my dad told me I had two middle names. What are they? I whimpered. Annoying twat, he replied. The cat died. It was as if all my joy had descended to the bottom of a well. Then Mum said she was going to Oslo to get away from me. I don't blame her, said Dad, before casually abusing me yet again. The house was lifeless without her. I tried to forgive my dad for being so horrid, but I couldn't. I eventually plucked up the courage to ask a girl out, but she dumped me when she found out how dull and self-obsessed I was. I then kissed another girl. What shall we do next, she said. Let's go home so I can write about the shame of prematurely ejaculating in my pants, I said. To my horror, she didn't want to see me again either. I sobbed for seven long, long years. As I reached my word count, I decided I needed to confront my father. Why do you hate me so much? I pleaded. He laughed. Why do you expect me to feel any differently to anyone else? It was time for me to leave my boyhood. No one came to say goodbye. The Digested Read Digested The Secret Diary of Carl Hervé Knausgood, aged 13 and three quarters. That was our own John Craze giving his digested version of Carl Ove Nusgaard's Boyhood Island. John, that was pretty hard, wasn't it? He'll be weeping into his cornflakes. I think he'll be loving it um, myself because it's all about him and which is the whole point of his sixth volume, My Struggle. You know, it's a very confrontative title, you know, invoking Hitler. And... Um, it really is in places sort of that banal, narcissistic and self-obsessed. I mean, you know, that stuff about sort of pissing, shitting and also the cornflakes, that is all in there. I mean, it may feel like a parody, but in, in actual fact, I kind of think I went quite easy on him. For those who don't know about 
Knaus Good. He's a blocked writer is one way of, of regarding him, who decided to write about his life. And he started in um, 2011 and two years later had written six books which ran to some 3,600 pages, which took Norway by storm to a really unprecedented extent. I think that they'd sold something like half a million copies and that's in a population of five million within a year. And now they're sort of dribbling out here, aren't they? We've got three so far. There's another one due next year. This isn't the first time you've given him a bit of a kicking, is it? No. I mean, I have actually read all three books. Um, I didn't digest the first one because there wasn't really a reference to digest it against. But by, you know, he had become a name by the second time. And so I did his previous book. And... I, I know I will probably call it a day after this one because it might become repetitive. But I mean, you're right, because he was a literary novelist who was sort of getting nowhere. I mean, he very little acclaim. He had been published, but you know, he was kind of struggling. And I think he said unashamedly, I just decided that the way to kind of break through was just to write and write and write, that it was all became about quantity rather than quality. And you know, you might think that shows, but there is a kind of hypnotic quality to it. I mean, you can get beguiled in, but once you kind of come out of it and think about it, you kind of start to think why. And what's quite uh, interesting also is that last year I went to a Norwegian literary festival um, and they asked me to do a digested read of Carl Erve Knusgaard. And um, they are become sort of rather suspicious of him, having thoroughly embraced him. They're sort of questioning his authenticity. And in a way, he's a sort of bigger figure outside Norway now. I mean, more highly regarded, I think, than he is in. There's sort of a huge amount of respect for the volume of sales and for the, the brand. But there are... You know, the people are beginning to question what what he was up to in this. And I mentioned that word Proust. I mean, that sounds like sort of such ridiculous overstatement, but actually, that is what he has been described as, isn't it? The Proust of Norway. Oh, absolutely, yes. And sort of like the Proust of France, he you know divides opinion accordingly. You know, there are some people who can't stand him, and there are other people who think there is a kind of magic to it. I mean, I personally quite like the real Proust and find him quite readable. I don't find this so readable. Harry Kunzru, the novelist, wrote a, a Guardian Review front, that's a, a sort of huge piece about appreciation of him, in which he said, this is not boring in the way bad narrative is boring, it's boring in the way life is boring, and somehow almost perversely, that's a surprising thing to see on a page. This is an extraordinary thing to pull off, really, isn't it? 3,600 pages of boring life, which has compelled so many people in so many areas of the world. Come, you're surely damning him with undeservedly faint praise. Well, I mean, I was surprised by that Harry Kunzru quote because I wasn't sure whether that was damning with faint praise or whether he was actually saying something quite deep. Um, I kind of felt that it's almost that Knausgaard is now inseparable as a person from the book. You know, it's sort of, the books don't stand on their own. You have to kind of take the whole package and the brand of him now. And, I mean, I don't know if that's a sort of 
very sort of 21st century thing about sort of writing. I mean, usually most writers want their books to stand or fall on their own qualities. But I mean, he seems to come as an integral living package with it. There's a lot of shame in this, isn't there? And there's also a lot of sort of self-destruction. You know, he, he wrote terrible things about his first wife, for example. He's, he's, he's sort of excruciated both himself and his close family. And yet you describe him as a narcissist. I mean, some people would say it's sort of unflinching. For me, there was something sort of almost contrived about it, I think. It felt as though he was deliberately going back there to kind of stir it up, really. There was something artificial about it rather than authentic. Well, John, thank you very much. I'm sure listeners to this podcast will make their own minds up. Volumes one to three of My Struggle are available now from Vintage and volume four is coming out in the new year. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.